And we are back with episode 32 of the Fantasy Front Office podcast for the week of March 12th, 2018. This week, Ichiro returns home to Seattle. Arietta is now a Philly. Lucroy to Oakland. The Yankees sign a walker. Lance Lynn is a twin. Cargo returns to Coors. And of course, we're going to dive into the AL West in bullpens over and underdrafted. And now, entering your ears, your fantasy front office. And joining me in the front office this week, Keith and Todd. Had to excuse Phil on some personal matters, but he will rejoin us soon. Welcome, guys. Kicking off this week, big news around the MLB. Ichiro has returned home to Seattle. Is there fantasy relevance in his return? I don't think so. It's it's a good, feel-good story, and I think everybody around baseball is happy to see Ichiro return to where he started his MLB career. I can remember back 15 years ago, or 10 or 15 years ago, seeing Ichiro in Peoria at spring training the first year that he he came over from Japan and it was a sight to be seen. I mean, he was a really popular guy back then and he's gained popularity around the league and in Seattle. So this is a, a really good feel good story. Um, one that I'm happy to see. Yeah, it's definitely more um, of a fun thing for the fans. And it's obviously it's great to see him back in the Mariners uniform, but fancy wise, I mean, there's obviously going to be no um, real value from Mitchell this season. All right. And one of the major signings finally happened. Jake Arietta signs with the Phillies for three years, and does this move up the Phillies' timetable? I think it kind of has to. I think they're moving their own timetable up a little bit with some of the moves they've made this offseason. I really like the signing of Carlos Santana. I think he's going to be an impact bat for them, you know, this season right away. Talked about him getting a little bit of a boost in home runs, but also that boost in home runs going to that park, I think may hurt Arietta in return. So I wasn't really drafting Arietta anywhere, and I don't think the move to Philadelphia changes that much for me. So I need to see a little bit from him before I kind of buy back in. Yeah, obviously last year, a lot of worrisome trends for Arietta. Uh, he had a 4-1 fib, and he lost two miles per hour on his average fastball from the year before. So there's a lot of warning signs. He's entering his age 32 season, and to begin with, I wasn't very high in Arietta. So. What's wrong with your age 32 season there, Todd? What are you, <laughs> what are you trying to say? I'm in the best shape of my life, man. I don't want to talk about <laughs> You also didn't log, what, 180 innings last year in the majors? so No, but if I did, my arm would, would actually <laughs> fall off. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I went through batting practice to my, my seven-year-old the other day, and maybe not 180 innings, but that uh, it feels like 180 innings. And one thing that worries me about Arietta is, is that his crossfire motion, how sustainable is that going to be as he gets older? You know, His mechanics are definitely one thing that I don't think is going to age too well. All right, now we've actually had had a catcher find a home. Jonathan Lucroy is now headed to the Bay, playing for Oakland. This doesn't do much good for him in ballpark terms, but do you guys have any thoughts on a bounce back year from him? So I do. Actually, I think this, you may not think that it improves him as far as ballpark goes, but my opinion is that this will help him as far as his ground ball rate. Now, if you look at the A's last year and some of the bats that improved drastically, you think of Alonzo, right? I mean, what did he do? He increased his launch angle and all of a sudden his home run production skyrocketed. Another guy who I'm kind of highlighting this year who hasn't seen the gains as much yet in production is J. 
Jed Lowry. But if you look at their team as a whole, they've obviously figured something out as far as launch angle goes. And it's something that as an organization that they're stressing to their players. My opinion is that they wouldn't have signed Luke Roy if they didn't think they could fix him. Now, if you look at Luke Roy, what he did last season in one of his worst seasons ever, he drove the ball into the ground like crazy. For the first time in his career, his ground ball rate was above 50%. And it increased from the previous year to 37%. And what did that do to his WOBA? It was unbelievable. His weighted on-base average fluctuates almost identically with what his ground ball to fly ball rate is. And so I think that they made this signing with intention of fixing his ground ball rate and increasing his launch angle to return him to somewhat of his previous self. And I think he'd be open to that based on how bad his season was last year. So I look for an immediate impact. I'm going to look watch him very closely um, in spring training with them. I'm going to watch him in the first few weeks of the season. And if I see any type of trend moving towards more fly balls, I'm going to buy in pretty quickly because I think that could turn him into a top three catcher this year if he increases his fly ball rate. Oh, wow. Interesting hot take, Todd. <laughs> How do you follow that up? I mean, obviously, at least you like the fact that he's going to get every day playing time in Oakland. There's not going to be much competition, but those definitely a great point brought up by Keith. And it's something that if he can figure out what the rest of the Oakland A's have figured out in the past, there is some upside with Luke Roy. I mean, he is just a year removed from 24 homers. So, All right, let's move on. Cargo has returned to Coors Field. Uh, it appears to have been the only offer out there. Are we seeing a buy-in to a bounce back for him as well? Cargo was awful last year for at least three quarters of the season. I ended up doing a profile on him I think around the all-star break or a little bit after. And what I had thought at the time was he's got to be injured because there's no excuse for how quickly his decline was or how bad he was playing if he's completely healthy. And I guess my opinion at the time was either he's going to be forced onto the DL because he's playing so bad (laughs) or he's actually injured. And about two weeks after writing the article, he hit the DL for whatever reason it was. And I'm not even sure if it was a real injury or not, but um, he spent some time on the DL. Once he returned, he did play a little bit better down the stretch. Um, I don't know if his last 45 or 60 games were, but he, he returned a little bit of the value that, you know, had drastically dropped off a cliff in the first three, three quarters of the season. But as far as a bounce back, it's going to take a lot for him to bounce back. And if he struggles on a one-year contract with the Rockies and as many outfielders as they have, they're going to go a different direction. They don't have any loyalty to him anymore. They're not tied down to him. He doesn't have the return value. So uh, he has to perform if he's going to play. So the good news with Cargo, at least, is from August 2nd on, he had a 327 batting average of a 902 OPS. So he absolutely crushed the ball down the stretch. The thing of Cargo is that he's going to face right-handed pitching only, can't really hit lefties, and there's so many outfielders in the Rockies outfield that if he struggles, he's going to get buried on the bench. So there is a lot of risk of cargo, but he is going pretty late in drafts. Yeah, I picked him up at like pick number 300 or beyond, like almost 400 in um, the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. So about uh, 10 minutes after the rumor of him signing was, it was my turn to pick and I snagged him at like pick 386 or something. So (laughs) I was pretty happy with that. All right. Lance Lynn has finally signed on and he has joined up with the twins that we covered what was it, two weeks ago? And they are sneakily having a really good offseason. It just amplified now, and they're really a contender. Yeah, they've added some pieces that nobody seemed to have want, and I'm curious to see how it kind of puzzles 
puzzles together over the first two or three months of the season because like you said they they had kind of a shooter's chance in the beginning and now that they've added a lot of value picks across the board I mean their team's not only better but it's deeper and throughout a 162 game season you know you're gonna need that depth yes yeah, it helps with the uh, twins they're gonna have 45 to 50 games against the White Sox Royals and um, Tigers so <laughs> right you know why not go for it and the wild cards very in reach for them regarding Lance Lynn obviously on a one-year deal for the twins it's totally worth it it's a bargain deal but Lance Lynn had a career low 7.39 K per nine and a career high 3.77 walks per nine last season with a 4.8 fib so there is a lot of things to worry about with Lance Lynn and fancy wise I'm not too high on him but for the twins it's a good signing it's worth the one-year deal so a rotation with Irving Santana and uh, Lance Lynn is due for a little regression <laughs> just a little bit yeah okay. once Santana finally gets back I think he's out at least the first six weeks of the season in that case his regression will start after the first six weeks of the season right <laughs> and the Yankees made it official today they're signing Neil Walker to play second base for them essentially sending down Glaber Torres and Andahar to start off in AAA this year do we see these guys like Drury and Walker holding their own this year or will those young bats eventually overtake them I think Drury could actually hold his own I, I, I think I like him as a change of scenery type of a, a guy. He never quite lived up to what his bat potential was. I mean, he's never going to be, you know, a top 150 player in fantasy. I don't think so. His 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 power is not enough. He's not going to hit for a high enough batting average. And he's not going to swipe bases. But I think he could actually be pretty productive there in New York as like a late, late round flyer and somebody who may, you know, keep Gleyber Torres down in the minors for a little bit. Um, nobody's going to keep him down for long. I worry about Miguel Anduar and whether or not he can actually kind of break through if some of those infield bats perform, you know, like I think they could. Walker's been a good, productive player for you know several seasons now so it, it'll take a lot to bump him off now injuries happen and stuff like that but I think it definitely hurts both of those young bats and their ability to kind of break into the offense quickly yeah I like the landing spot for Neil Walker he's a guy who seems to be one of those guys you're always debating if you should pick him up off waivers or not but the second base spot or third base spot however they decide to put Drury and Walker together um, it's going to be his for the foreseeable future I think he's going to be a good stopgap for Torres remember he's coming off of Tommy John so they probably don't want to rush him so I like the spot for Walker I think this is one of the better landing spots you could have had yeah he's definitely a, a late round bat to keep on your radar uh, in the deeper leagues he's been averaging almost a 350 on base percentage the last three seasons Pretty solid 270, 275 average with 15 plus home runs each year. So definitely a guy to keep on deeper league radars. All right, heading into the break. When we get back, we are going to dive into the AL West bullpens. Has your fantasy baseball team ever caught the injury bug and it cost you your shot at winning your league's prizes? If so, look no further than Rotoshurance, the leader in fantasy sports insurance. Their insurance coverage can save you your league's investments with policies as low as $1.50 a season. You can even receive 10% off coverage this season by using the promo code FFO in all caps during the month of March. Just visit rotosurance.com. That's R-O-T-O-S-U-R-A-N-C-E.com. Simply select your sport, your league's entry fees, and choose the players you want to insure. Or preemptively insure your first or second round picks pre-draft. 
Don't lose your money this season due to unforeseen injury and protect your team at rotosurance.com. Again, your code to secure 10% off during the month of March is all caps FFO. All right, heading into the AL West. We're going to start off with Houston's bullpen. Their closer is currently Ken Giles. Do you guys see him holding that closer position this year, or is one of these other arms going to come knocking and knock him off that position? I think he's actually pretty secure in that job. I think the one who has maybe a potential of bumping him off there is Will Harris. Harris had an unbelievable season last year, You know, probably looking towards another solid year this year, but I think Giles is pretty secure. Secure. I mean, they moved Davinsky around in that in that bullpen a little bit, like to throw him in a couple multiple innings and stuff like that. So I don't see him as the potential to take Giles' spot if he kind of struggles a little bit. I think that would be Will Harris, but I think he's safe for right now. Yeah, and obviously Ken Giles has a lead upside from the closer position. I think it's Giles pretty safe too. Regarding holds, obviously Will Harris is going to be your guy. Second guy I like is Joe Smith too. They did sign Rundown, but he's kind of a project after a struggling season last year. But Joe Smith is a guy who I like as probably their seventh inning guy this year. Sweet. Let's turn to Seattle. Seattle's closer is Edwin Diaz. He had kind of an up and down season last year after lighting it up coming on the scene the year before. Where do you see some holds? So I think the eighth inning guy entering the season will be Juan Nicasio. Got a two-year $18 million deal, I believe, or $16 million. Did a great job last year being the eighth inning guy in Pittsburgh. I think if Diaz goes down, Nicasio could step in and do a pretty good job in a closer role. They had a pretty much a nine flat K per nine, a two six ERA. So Nicasio is probably the top guy. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit different on this one. I actually think David Phelps and Nick Vincent are both valuable in saves plus holds leagues. And either one of those guys, I think, could actually hold down the closer's role if something were to happen to, to Edwin Diaz. I don't think that's going to be the case. You know, he's a, a top guy for me. Um, unless he gets injured, I think that bullpen is definitely his. In the ninth inning, he'll hold down for a while. But in, in holds leagues or deep leagues, you're looking for good ratios and strong strikeouts. Um, I like Nick Vincent and David Phelps. In fact, I took both of those guys in <laughs> our, our recent draft, and so I'm I'm definitely relying on them for, for good ratios and a couple couple saves and holes. I agree with those names. All right, let's turn to Oakland. Their closer last year was Doolittle and Madsen, and they traded him away halfway through, and in return they received their current closer, Blake Trenan. Who else in this bullpen is worthy of holds and saves? You know, they actually have a couple different options. Um, Hatcher is not bad. Hendricks isn't bad. I, I rostered uh, Ryan Buckter a couple of times last year. I'm um, looking for some strikeouts and some some good uh, stats there. So any one of those guys, I think, are, are worth kind of a speculative ad if you're looking for for holds. If I had to pick one, I think probably Hendricks would be the one that I would lean towards wanting to own right now. Um, he's going to get opportunities in either the seventh or the eighth inning, and he's had a strong recent track record there in Oakland. Yeah, and I would agree with you too. Hendricks and Hatcher are probably the two best guys for eighth inning saves, but uh, Hendricks a little bit better in the strikeout department, 78 strikeouts 
strikeouts in 64 innings last season. So Liam Hendricks would probably be my guy. I actually lean towards Buckter due to what he was doing in Kansas City. He was a low ratios guy with the upside of strikeouts. And he's a guy that's going to pitch a lot in pretty decent scenarios. Hopefully he doesn't get stuck in that uh, left-hander only type scenario. But what do you guys see from Yasumero Petit? He had kind of a coming out party in relief last year for the Angels and was putting up some pretty nice numbers out of the pen in a multi-inning type scenario. Do we see that continuing or is he somebody that's regression bound? I think he's probably regression bound. I I put together recently a top... I guess it's 148, a top 150 essentially for saves holds leagues. And where, you know, guys like Will Harris, Ryan Buckner, uh, Liam Hendricks are all in like the top 50 or 60 towards kind of the latter half of that. I don't have Petit until pick number 99. So there's essentially 97 other relievers that I would wow. rather own than Petit. And, you know, it comes down to a combination of things. You know, one, you're not going to get the saves holds with him necessarily. You're going to get multi innings w- with good stats. He had an unbelievable season last last year, but I really want either, you know, elite, elite strikeouts, or I'm going to have to get a few holds in order to roster somebody like him. Yeah. And I don't have a ton of interest in him either. I think he's kind of, kind of played a long relief role, maybe a swingman role. And I think some regression is due. Uh, Petit's been around forever and last year was definitely probably one of his career seasons, but I'm not too high on Petit. Definitely. Let's head to the team where Petit left. Let's head to the Angels. <laughs> All the Blake Parker owners out there are really hating on uh, Socher right now because he named Cam Bedrosian the closer to start the year. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> It's ridiculous. And you talk about the Blake Parker owners. I was the Blake Parker owner. I I (laughs) literally sniped Todd last year to pick him up off waivers pretty early in the season. And he had a great year. And I I think he's got the stuff to succeed in that type of a role. So it's really frustrating, you know, that we got so shit again. But Drosian's good. He's young. He's probably the closer of the future. But man, it's super frustrating because I think Parker could be the guy to give you, you know, a solid amount of saves there for a much improved improved Angels team. Yeah, and Blake Parker was tremendous last season, had about 11.5k per 9. His last 21 games, he had a 25 to 3 strikeout to walk ratio. He was tremendous, and it's kind of a weird move because he had a lot of success in September in the closer role, so kind of weird that they're moving him out of it for Bedros who struggled last season. I mean, know, it's, it's Mike Socha. <laughs> it's weird. Socha's making a weird I mean, <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> I'm like legitimately angry right now we're talking about this cuz I I have Parker in a few leagues. Anyways, <laughs> that's pretty much the only names that are really jumping off the page for me here are Parker and Bedrosian. Jim Johnson really isn't relevant anymore. I will give you uh, just a little reference on Jim Johnson. So going back to my ranks, I have Jim Johnson listed as 77th overall. Really? For relievers. I mean, it is what it is. Like 77th. There's guys that are, you know, I got 71 Josh Fields, Joe Kelly, Jacob Barnes, Kirby Yates. Alex Claudio is actually right ahead of Jim Johnson if that means anything. That speaks more to how low I am on Claudio than how high I am on on Jim Johnson. But yeah, there's so many other options. If you have to roster Jim Johnson in your league, like try not to. Try to figure (laughs) something else out. 
Well, speaking of Alex Claudio, let's turn to the Rangers. He's currently their closer, but they've added some interesting names this offseason. What do we see shaking out in this bullpen? I don't I don't know. Honestly. <laughs> I, I don't obviously don't want Alex Claudio. He's just not going to give you the strikeouts that you need or anywhere close that you need from that position. There's so many other options. Matt Bush is, I think, still fluctuating back and forth between maybe making the rotation or not. Have they named a fifth starter yet? Do we know? I, all I saw was that Matt, uh, he's going to return to the bullpen this year. Okay. So the so, starting experiment didn't work. Yeah, yeah, Matt Bush in the bullpen, I'd rather have than Claudio. A, a kind of a sleeperish name is Jake Diekman. He's somebody who I I probably would keep a close eye on. Um, there's a big-time Timmy Jim Linscombe that's uh, <laughs> in the bullpen there. So um, anybody interested in owning him? Him for uh, saves or holds? It's going to be a pass. Ugh. I don't know. Like last pick in a draft, maybe just because Claudio, I don't know if he's going to hold it down. I think this is just going to be a mess for at least at six least till June. Yeah. Like yeah. it's just going to be an absolute mess. And I don't know that any one of these guys gets more than nine saves. Wow. On the year. Ooh. Yeah. I, I don't even know if their closer is currently on their team. Like it's, it's that bad. I don't like any of these guys. And Bush would be my pick. Like if I had to roster somebody, I think I trust him the most out of the group. Uh, but they have Keona Kelly there or Kella there. Yeah, I was going to say, where does Kella fall on your rankings there? Because he's the intriguing arm in this pen that I would be interested. He's at 64th on my list. So I have him right around Liam Hendricks, right around David Phelps, who we just talked about. So yeah, he's intriguing. None of those guys are enough to, I think, solidify it. And this bullpen was a mess last year. It was a (laughs) dumpster fire for most of the year last year. And I don't think that's going to just change with a few additions like Tim Lincecum. And just a quick note on Kella. I think he is probably the most talented arm in that bullpen, but last season he struggled with shoulder injuries and just saw last week he's also now again having some shoulder issues. So he would be kind of my favorite guy in this mix, but with him with arm troubles, I think Matt Bush is probably the best, but it's it's a really messy bullpen. All right, after the break, we are going to dive back into the AL West with some overdrafted players. Hey everybody, it's me, Joe Pizzapia. Baseball is back, and so is the Fantasy Baseball Black Book 2018 edition. This year, I've got Paul Spore doing the starting pitching chapter. I've got Jake Seeley doing outfield profiles. I've got Sammy Reed doing DFS. we got championships waiting for you. Go get it right now, the Fantasy Baseball Black Book 2018, available on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle and on iTunes, because once you go Black Book, well, you know the rest. In the AL West, for overdrafted players, we are going to start with Houston. Who on this roster is overdrafted? Keith? I don't want to say it. There's not really anybody (laughs) who's really glaring. And there's not going to be a popular opinion that comes out of me saying that somebody on the returning, you know, World Series champions is being overdrafted. But if I had to pick one, man, it's going to be Justin Verlander. Ooh. 
it has a lot to do with the innings on that arm. If you look at how many innings he's thrown in the past, like five or six seasons, there, there's nobody that really comes close. And he's done it and he's performed such a long track record that you want to believe in it. He's had some up and down seasons the past few years. He actually had an unbelievable second half last year, like he had even in 2016. But I just, I really worry about at the age that he is and how many innings he's put on that arm. At some point, his arm will wear down, whether it's this year or next year i'm not sure maybe he's got the nolan ryan arm and it's like you know it, it's never gonna break down but the innings on that arm and the other guys that are going around him in the draft i think i'm probably gonna avoid Verlander this year interesting todd i agree with keith on the part that it's really hard to find an astro with verlander i mean i kind of like his price he is starting pitcher 11 right now you know obviously it's a really really tough one to find but obviously with verlander's age he might be the leading candidate evan gaddis at 150 yeah all catchers are overdrafted so that's like <laughs> i mean he's you, essentially I'm, their dh but but only got 300 at bats last year so remember he had a concussion last year he, True. he really had a down season he only had 11 homers and uh 300 at bats and with him you're kind of banking on homers and power so yeah verlander's going on average 38th overall he did make some adjustments once he went over to the Astros. I know Pitcher List had some side-by-side videos of Verlander first half, second half, throwing certain pitches out on Twitter, and it was pretty drastic on the movement behind them. So maybe he's kind of been reborn going to Houston. 38th overall is, mm, that's pretty high and pretty trusting on that. And I think it may be just that I like other guys in that group more than him. Like, if you give me Verlander at 41 based on NFBC um, average draft position or Robbie Ray at 45. Like I'm picking Robbie Ray every single time. Yeah. Um, and Robbie yeah. Ray is going four picks after him. Um, or if I had the option of picking, you know, Reese Hoskins or Justin Verlander, I'm picking Reese Hoskins. If I had the option of, you know, even Chris Archer, who's going 10, 12 picks later, you know, I've come around on, on Chris Archer and I know he hasn't played for a good team, but I think I kind of swap them. He may in- by season's end. <laughs> exactly. He may be, you know, if he's a Padre, you know, by, by mid season, like give me Chris Archer as a Padre and I'll give you a top eight starter. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I think I just like other guys more in that range than I like Verlander. And I actually am trying to target, you know, guys ahead of him. Like Carrasco, I think is an unbelievable buy this year. Noah Syndergaard is a great pitcher that I'd like to own Jacob deGrom. So I just don't see myself drafting him too often. And the more I look in at how much mileage he's put on that arm in the past five years, I'm like, holy crap. Like it's, it's a lot. So I think it would be naive of us not to think that at some point, that body, that arm is going to wear down. All right, let's turn to Seattle. And who is overdrafted here? Kyle Seeger. Ooh. Kyle Seeger, third baseman. It's pretty easy for me. Kyle Seeger's production has been based on the volume of at-bats that he's had the past several seasons. So I think MLB.com kind of came out and said he's the most consistent hitter in baseball. That's great, except for baseball's changed the last three years, and so or the last two years, and yeah. everybody but Kyle Seeger has hit for more home runs. Valid, um, valid point. So I think his value just gets wrapped so much into volume, and if he misses 15, 20 you know, 30 days, he goes from a top 120 pick to being like not worth a pick really quickly because he needs a ton of repetition to get 
the counting stats that, that he is. So I just, I don't think he really helps you in any one category enough to provide value. And third base is stacked. It is absolutely stacked. If you play in a standard league, you're going to get a stud third baseman. And Kyle Seager is not that guy. I would, and I have taken Adrian Beltre at 130 over Kyle Seager already this year. Uh, so have I, like four times. <laughs> <laughs> And I would do it 14 times again. We're uh, we're trying to push that ADP on Beltre up to where it should be. And, and Beltre is 140 years old, and so like, I I don't care. Like I give I mean, me. I mean, this is showing our hand for the underdrafted sleepers, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Todd, who is overdrafted for you? For me, obviously, too, it's Kyle Seager, just because there's so many good third basemen. Obviously, all of us are taking Adrian Beltre in that range anyways. It's just there's not a ton of upside of Kyle Seager. He's a guy who may be a little bit more valuable in a roto league, but if you're in a head-to-head league, Kyle Seager, I'm not. I'm extremely low on him. So for me, it's Kyle Seager. Robinson Cano's starting to creep into the 70s, which I'm not too crazy about, but if he stays in the 80s, it's all right. But I don't see him jumping up anytime soon. He's currently at 80. 81, 82, at least on fan tracks. And plus he's out with a grade one hamstring sprain. Happened Saturday. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I, I don't see him jumping up anytime soon. On to Oakland. Who's getting overdrafted here, guys? Uh, for me, it's Matt Olson. What we saw from Matt Olson in his short, like 56 or 58 games last year was nothing short of amazing. He put up like... Barry Bonds type numbers, Babe Ruth type numbers. And I think the range of outcomes for Olsen is so large that there's a a small chance that he returns like a top 50 bat. And he, you know, some of that translates into a full season. Um, But I think there's a much larger chance that he is utterly worthless. And I think his position in ADP and in ranks is playing like the median. So it's somewhere in between those range of outcomes. And that's just not somewhere where I like to play very often, where the floor could absolutely fall out from Olsen and you could be wasting a top, you know, 115 pick. And I think the ceiling for him is he's not going to be better than a top 50 player. I just don't see a path where his batting average is high enough with that power to break into you know, the top 50s overall in fantasy. So if my ceiling is top 50 and my floor is dropped by June, I don't really want to spend a 12th, you know, through 14th round pick on somebody like Matt Olson. Yeah, I agree. So Matt Olson's going 124 right now in NFBC. And he's definitely my guy just because there's a lot of guys in that range that will be a little bit more consistent and potentially even have the same type of upside. So Matt Olson, probably my guy at 124. We are agreeing a lot this episode, making it nice and quick. All right, on to Anaheim. Who on this Angels roster is overdrafted other than Shohei Otani? Well, it's a good thing that I would say Garrett Richards, but I'm I'm not going to say Garrett Richards. (laughs) (laughs) If you need to hear about Garrett Richards, go back to our last episode. I don't really have anybody that jumps off the page. I see Pujols being drafted, which is kind of scary, to be honest. (laughs) He was borderline the worst offensive player in baseball last year. And somehow I still see him. Is he really going to bat fourth for the Angels? That's Mike Sosha is their manager. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
Roster Resource does have him batting fourth, right behind Kinsler, Trout, Upton, Pujols, Calhoun, Cozart. That's uh, that's an interesting lineup. I don't see that lineup the same way at all. Roster Resource is awesome. Maybe this is based off what Soch has been doing in spring or something like that. Either but... that or they've analytically just pieced it together, but no, yeah. I wouldn't order it that way either. <laughs> yeah. Cozart's higher for me. Kinsler's actually lower. Simmons is higher. Simmons has had a higher, you know, Woba the past year than even half of that team. So putting him at eight just doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, I don't know. I don't want to talk about the Angels anymore. <laughs> Todd, who you got? Obviously, Otani is uh, kind of the easy one. There's a lot of good values on the Angels. And it's one of those things that obviously Otani stands out. Richard stands out. Those are the main two. But really, that's pretty much it. Just don't draft Albert Pools. Yeah, Otani is kind of the wild card here. <laughs> He's sitting with NFBC at 74. Fantrax has him at 70-ish, 70, 71. <sighs> Man, the people are split on Otani. Somebody drafted him at 25, and the latest he went was 198. Dang. And early reports from scouts and things are not too kind on Otani. There was one recently who said his bat is essentially that of a high schooler, and and pitching-wise, he's been kind of all over the place with some very pretty movement on some pitches. Like, his control isn't fully there yet, which tends to happen if you don't pitch at all the year before coming to the pros. Let's turn to Texas. On the Rangers, who is getting overdrafted here? I'm trying to think of somebody besides Rudnador, because we've talked <laughs> about Rudnador a few times. I'll go with Nomar Mazzara. There's still some hype around Nomar Mazzara, but without going into too much detail, my projections from Rosario were not very kind. I had to search and search and search and see how far he kind of adjusted down to my outfield ranks before kind of bumping him back up a little bit because yeah, my projection systems did not like Nomar Mazzara. So very, very young. 23. Yeah, he's got some tools. He was one of only, I think, two or three players to get qualifying at bats last year at the age of 22. So he's got a long ways to go. I'm just not going to buy in until I see a little bit more from him. Going 153. So the, the price isn't terrible, but there's definitely outfielders in that range that I like a lot more and we've talked about Odor plenty so that would obvious candidate for all of us but yeah Odor is probably my top guy yeah for some reason this is the first podcast you've tuned in on uh, Odor sucks <laughs> <laughs> He is maybe the worst hitter in baseball, in my opinion. I know he's got power and the numbers are there, but Odor sucks. The three true outcomes. Don't draft him. If you do draft him and he sucks, I told you so. Oh, man. Last year, 204 average, 15 stolen bases, 162 strikeouts, only 32 walks, and 30 home runs in 607 at-bats. And the long and the short of it is major league pitchers adjusted to Odor and now it's his turn. So if he adjusts and starts taking more walks, or if he figures out how to hit a changeup, maybe <laughs> he will become a better hitter. But for right now, he's the worst hitter in baseball against changeups, and a lot of guys throw that pitch. And it's no secret at this point that Odor at the major league level hit 204 last year with an on-base percentage of like 12. <laughs> and so he, he doesn't take walks, and he can't hit a changeup. His stolen base percentages are atrocious. So if, he, in fact, he does get on base at some point, which doesn't happen very often, often, his stolen base rates are pretty low. So I can't imagine as being the manager of Rudnett Odor and seeing him get caught 35% of the time when he actually does get on first base, that you're going to be likely to give him that green light. Because if you 
counted the amount of times that he got on first base last year and then got caught, he doesn't have the opportunity to score enough runs to be productive. And maybe that's an exaggeration, but there was a ton of hitters, like 86 or 89 or something like that, that had 19 or more home runs. So his home runs don't look like much. All right. After the break, we are going to get back with our AL West Sleeper Talk. Rotoware.com. Rotoware. Big shout out to the Rotoware uh, company. It's so goddamn comfortable. Can't recommend them enough, man. Yeah. High quality t shirts. Shout out to Rotoware.com. You see me rocking the shirts on the videos and stuff like that. Where'd you get that? Rotoware. That is courtesy of Rotoware. It's just it's just the highest quality of shirts. Yeah, I really like the baseball designs you got here. The shirt is beautiful. Everybody who I've talked to who has the shirt basically says they can't believe how good the quality is. Yeah, kid, I've seen you've been getting a lot of love. You said you've been only running for a little over a month. CBS guys are tweeting out shirts. I'm seeing fantasy personalities everywhere digging this guy's shirt. I love the Run DFS shirt. It comes with the baseball cards with all the different shirts on it. Rotoware on Twitter. Check out rotoware.com. Oh my God. Is this, is this shirt making love to me right now? Like, what's going on? I love this shirt. And as we get back into it, we are going into the sleepers and underdrafted players starting off in Houston. Todd, who do you have? So he's not super underdrafted, but I love Marwin Gonzalez at uh, pick 116. He plays first, second, short, and outfield. So a ton of eligibility. Pretty much eligible all anywhere you can play him other than catch. Yeah. Yeah. If you yeah. look at his eligibility on fan tracks, I think it just says yes. Yeah. Like instead of like <laughs> pretty much. different eligibilities, it just says yes by his name. His eligibility is longer than his first and last names so yeah marlon gonzalez he's my guy ton of position eligibility that really comes in handy late in drafts when there's a weak spot in your roster and you just put marlon gonzalez there all season so he's my guy i think the astros are pretty well drafted where they should be for the most part obviously a ton of top 200 players but uh, marlon gonzalez is my guy keith i'm gonna go with charlie morton Ooh. so morton has become a completely different pitcher the past you know 160 or so innings i mean he's even talked about it he's talked about changing his mentality Mentality, no longer worrying about mechanics and letting that kind of fog his brain. He's just now focusing on pitching and feeling natural. So letting the ball kind of, you know, come out of his hand naturally. He says he hasn't watched video in the past, like, you know, season or two. And his velocity definitely helps. He's added a few miles an hour to that fastball. Um, and the numbers don't lie. He's been unbelievable in his last, you know, 120, 140 innings pitched. Um, he pitched lights out in game seven of the World Series, essentially closing that game you know, all by himself. So he's somebody who I'm I'm targeting. I'm probably 10 to 15, even 20 SP spots higher on Charlie Morton than probably the consensus. Just from watching Charlie Morton, he's one of the most fun guys to watch in base. Every pitch he throws moves a ton. And the key to him, he's healthy. He's been able to stay healthy with the Astros. And yeah, there's amazing value. He just kind of gets lost in that, um, that rotation as the number five starter, but Morton's a great value. And, and just to kind of add on how high I am on him, I have him ahead of guys like Alex Wood, Garrett Cole, Kyle Hendricks, Lance McCullers, John Gray, Danny Salazar, Luke Weaver. Those wow. guys are all behind him in my SP ranks. Now, is Morton a guy that you'd want to handcuff with uh 
picking up Brad Peacock as well? Or do you just consider him as a starter that's going to get out there every fifth day? I think I'm counting on him to get out there every fifth day, but Peacock is not uh, is not bad himself. So if you're playing in a deep league, I, I kind of like that strategy as far as picking him up because either one of those guys in the rotation is going to be extremely valuable. All right, let's turn our attention to the Pacific Northwest and head to Seattle. Keith, who is underdrafted here? James Paxton. (laughs) (laughs) All right. State your case for James Paxton. All right. Paxton has been unbelievable in the games that he's pitched. And I know he's had struggles with injuries the past several years, but if you look at him compared to the other top 20 starters, as far as what his XFIP has been, what his uh, walks minus strikeout percentage has been, he puts himself in an elite tier with the rest of those pitchers. And I'm talking about pitchers like Strasburg and Grom and other pitchers. So if you just look at what he's done per inning, which I know is hard because he's not necessarily going to give you 190 innings this year, but in the games that he's pitched, he's been phenomenal. A couple of years ago, he added miles an hour to his fastball. Um, he's one of the fastest throwing lefties in the game right now, and he has the stuff to definitely back it up. So I think James Paxton is extremely underdrafted. Um, again, kind of talking about ranks, I have Paxton as my number 11th starter. And I, I agree. Over whom right there at 11? All right, you ready? You asked for it. Yeah, ready? I, I'm interested here. Okay, so I have Paxton ahead of Grinky. Ouch. Verlander. Ooh. Darvish, Archer, Bumgarner, Quintana, Aaron Nola, Rich Hill, Carlos Martinez, Tanaka, the Phillies, Jake Arrieta, and everybody else. So I have him borderline top 10, which I understand is crazy, but I'm fine being crazy. I think Paxton is my number one target right now in redraft leagues. I know he was a big target for us. We did not secure Paxton in the Battle of the Podcast League. He got sniped the pick before us. So, yeah. Anyway, he's been a big target for us in the front office this year. And were you able to secure him in the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational? I was not. Derek Van Riper literally sniped me from like the 15th story building. You know, <laughs> I was so mad. I was I was driving and I was talking to you guys, getting ready to draft him. DVP picked like three or four picks ahead of me. I had passed him up on the previous round because it was way too early to take him. And I thought maybe he falls back to me and he got sniped like three picks before me. I was, I was still upset about that. Todd, who you got? For me, it's Mitch Hanniger, the outfielder. Last season in his first 21 games, he hit 342 of four homers and then he got hurt. He struggled and uh, June and July coming back, but in September he had seven homers and hit 365. So beginning of the year and end of the year he finished strong. I love Mitch Haniger. You can get him pretty late. I hope he's hitting in the middle of the lineup. He's not probably going to be fifth or sixth in that lineup. But I really, really like Mitch Haniger this year. Well, he's currently slotted behind Kyle Seager, which that won't last very long. Um, <laughs> so he's he's probably looking. Um, and if Cano misses any time, he could slide up that order pretty quickly. Yeah. All right, let's turn to Oakland. Who are our sleepers and underdrafted here. All right, so this gives me a good opportunity to talk about Jed Lowry, and I know he's not somebody who you're going to roster in standard leagues, but Jed is somebody who I think there's kind of a perfect storm brewing as far as his adjustments. We talked about earlier his adjustment to hit more fly balls. Um, he's going to hit for a little bit more power. He's never going to be like that elite power guy or any, anything close, but I think he could have 
you know, the type of breakout season that we saw from an older Yonder Alonso last year and this year. So he's 33, almost 34 years old. You know, you're not going to expect big things from him, but if he was a top 12 second baseman this year, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, currently going on fan tracks at 413 overall. Yep. Deep, deep, deep digging. Todd, who you got? I'm really high on Jed Lowry too. And also Marcus Simeon. He's a year removed from a 27 home run season. Stole 12 last year, 10, 2016. His on-base percentage improved last year, but mainly he got hurt. Hopefully being healthy this season will help him. Job is his right now and he's hitting 400 right now in spring training. So there's some encouraging signs and you can get him super late in drafts. Yeah, I definitely would like to pick him up off waivers if I could, but I can't because Todd took him last night um, <laughs> right ahead of me. In our home league, yeah. The two-door bid. So, yeah, uh, we both were were vying for Simeon last night, and only one of us got him, and it wasn't me. (laughs) All right, let's turn to the Angels. Who are some sleeper guys on this roster? Does Blake Parker count now? Blake Parker may actually count (laughs) now. Does he count now? Because if his ADP drops because he's no longer the closer. I think if I had to choose, I'm still on Anderton Simmons. I really like the Simmons and the progression that he's made in becoming a more complete hitter the past several years. Um, And it also doesn't hurt how many stolen bases that he's kind of increased like year upon year. So he's somebody who I'm happy to take you know, late in drafts as my my middle infield option. Todd, who you got? Simmons is a good one. And for what it's worth, I really like Justin Upton at pick 48. Maybe he's not underdrafted, but I really like that value. Um, he's got hit 30 home runs last year, usually steals a little over 10 stolen bases. I really like Upton's value. Another guy I like, Zach Cozart. He had a great season last year. Health is a big issue with him. It just seems like he gets hot and then gets hurt and then has trouble bouncing back from there. But Cozart, Simmons, and I really like Upton's value. So it's kind my three. Yeah, Cozart is an interesting one. He's bound for a little regression. He had a super yeah. high BABIP last year, like over 300. So he's going to come back to earth. He's a career 250 hitter. So, I mean, hitting in that lineup, 270 isn't too much of a stretch for him, but the home run total will be interesting to see if he can put up those similar numbers to last year. He had 24. I see him being closer to 20, but that still puts him in a solid place in that lineup. And he's still shortstop eligible this season. So obviously it'll be his last one of Simmons there, but right. you know, that is nice too. I yeah. totally forgot to mention that, yeah, he is third base eligible. So, yeah. I mean, he's down on the third base ranks, obviously, but somebody in a deep, deep league could definitely use him at, what is that, 215, 220 overall? Not terrible. Let's head to Texas. Who is underdrafted here? You know what? I'm going to go outside the box, and I'm going to say Joey Gallo is being underdrafted. Is that really out of the box? <laughs> it, Shocker. It, 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 might, it might not be, and I don't think he's being drastically underdrafted, but I was talking with some of the guys on Twitter today, and I think I think people are kind of scared off by Gallo and his batting average, and I understand why that might be, but just consider what type of production he had last year at the low batting average, and the, the way I look at hitters in trying to gauge whether or not they can take another step forward is I like to look at skills and if they have an excess of skills in a certain area. Um, Because a lot of times adjustments can take away and add to a more rounded, balanced hitter. I think Gallo kind of fits that mold. Gallo had a 93 mile an hour average X velocity off the top of my head last year and a ground ball to fly ball rate of 0.51. So he doesn't have to have a 24 uh, degree launch angle in order to hit, you know, 35 
35 to 40 home runs because whether they go 480 feet or 412 feet, they still count as home runs. So we saw him make an adjustment kind of in the second half where he hit a little bit less fly balls or for a little bit you know lower of a launch angle. And that translated to a better batting average. So if he kind of continues that approach, he has enough raw power in that bat to still hit an unbelievable amount of home runs. And I think he actually could hit for, you know, 240 to 250. And if he gets to 240, 250 with 38 to 45 home runs, I mean, you're looking at a judge type season. Um, so those two could be heading in two different paths for me. For me at pick 262 is uh, Shinsu 2. Last season, he had 22 homers, stole 12 bases, which is good that he's running again. It's going to be DHing all season. So he does still have outfield eligibility, but I like the fact that he's DHing should help him for his health. Hit 260 last year, but back to back seasons, he's at a 357 on base percentage, which is solid. I think at that point in the draft, Shinsu 2 is a really interesting guy who a little on the safer side. I definitely agree with that. Choose somebody who I've never really targeted before, but after writing him up for fan graphs, I really was kind of surprised by how safe of a pick he is. His skills are still extremely elite as far as just being a hitter, even at his age. So um, my eyes were kind of opened up to, to choose value, at least for 2018. All right, that'll wrap up the AL West and all of Major League Baseball as we've recapped the bullpens over and underdrafted for each division. Guys, where can the people find you? Keith? All right, so check it out at fantasy underscore Keith. It is getting close to draft time for probably all of you. If you have questions, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. I always try to answer as many as possible, so don't be hesitant to kind of send messages my way, and hopefully I can help you guys out with some drafts. Todd? You can find me at Goldie Happens, and last night I was on an episode of Bench of Bubba, which you can find on iTunes and really anywhere that has podcasts. Talk D-backs humidor, can I talk about my humidor article just came out on the fan front office. Find me at Goldie Happens. Sweet. We're looking to expound on that humidor talk next week. Uh, you can find Phil at The Baseball Jedi, myself, Jeremy, at Front Office Jer. Follow the podcast at Fan Front Office. And of course, visit us at our home on the web, fanfrontofficepodcast.com. Check out the articles, the rankings, the projections, and all sorts of fun we've got from all of our various writers and contributors there. Be sure to give us a like, share, and check those out. And until next week, good luck in your draft prep.